Welcome to the Vine. Welcome to everybody who's tuning in uh, from Yunlong right now, from our church in Yunlong. We're so glad that you're here with us as well. Uh, welcome, everybody. My name is Andrew. If you've never been to the Vine before, you've come on a great day. Today is Vision Sunday, uh, and you get to hear a little bit about what God's heart is. Again, not just for this church, but hopefully what God's heart is for you personally. Now, it was actually... Sunday, the 3rd of March, 2019, when I released to us on Vision Sunday what has come to be known here amongst us as the river model vision for how we're to do church. Some six months prior to that particular Vision Sunday, I felt God speak strongly in my spirit during a prayer time. And as I was praying, I felt like God was saying some very significant things to me, but also to us And I saw literally in my prayer time a shift in how we are to understand what church really is. And I felt God say to me in that prayer time, Andrew, you need to stop thinking about church like a building or like a structure that's static in one location. You need to start thinking of church like a river, a river that is flowing in its city. And as I was praying, I saw a picture literally like this. I went on Google and I searched river basin and this was the picture that came up on Google. It was almost exactly the picture that I had. This is the Amazon River flowing through Brazil. And I felt like God was saying, this is the way church should be. Church needs to stop thinking about itself as a static one location building type thing. You need to think about yourself as a people. And if church is a people, then church happens wherever people are at work with the gospel. So church happens in our workplaces, in our spheres of influence, in our families, in our schools, throughout our city. The church is at work because church isn't some physical structure. Church is the work of God's people in the city that they're planted in. Now, I I don't know if you can understand how incredibly prophetic this word was from God to us at the beginning of 2019. Just a few months before the social movement would turn our city upside down. Just a year before God would begin to, not God, COVID would begin to happen in our city and turn the whole world upside down. Before we entered into a season where for almost four years we had to close the doors of this building so often, God was saying to us before any of it started, you can never close the door of a human heart. You might be able to shut down the physicality of a gathering on a Sunday, but you can never shut down the physical or spiritual movement of the gospel in a city. And we needed to hear this, we needed to understand this before the world turned upside down so that we could head into that period with a sense of what God is calling us to as a church. And over the last three years, I'm really proud to say that together we've continued to flow into this city. We've continued to think about ourselves as a river, and because of that, we've been able to adapt and flow with all the things that have happened in and around us. And I believe here in 2023, God is calling us to flow and to move forward like never before. And so I want to take some time today to talk to you about movement. You see, rivers, by their very definition, are designed to always flow and move forward. See, when a river stops flowing, it no longer is called a river anymore, and it gets called by a different name, and that name is a lake. I want to be really clear with you this morning. God has not given us a lake model vision for the church, okay? 
We are to flow, we are to move forward constantly because God is at work and his gospel is always moving forward. And then if we think about ourselves as a river moving forward, we have to understand how is it that rivers actually do flow? What is it that moves rivers forward in this world? Well, well, rivers are formed literally by the fact that rain comes down onto higher elevations, seeps either into the ground or becomes runoff, and then seeps to flow down to lower elevations and ultimately into the sea. And rivers flow by the movement of this water from a higher location to a lower location. And that flow happens adaptive to the environment in which it's found. It's really interesting. Rivers very rarely flow in straight lines. Rivers have to adapt themselves to the environment in which they are found in. If there's a change in that environment, a river miraculously finds its way to flow around that particular change in the environment. And so when God began to speak to us of, hey, think about a river, uh, think about church like a river, he was actually saying to us, hey, we need to be flexible. We need to know what it is to move and adapt to environment so that when our land puts a rock in front of us, we're able to flow around it. When our land, things happen and change, we're not undone, we're not held back, but we're actually released to continue to do what we're going to do. And one of the great things I can celebrate in the last three to four years is the ways in which you guys have been so incredibly adaptive to this environment in which we find ourselves in. There is a flow in God's kingdom, and when rivers flow, they're not normally in a straight line, but it moves into the obstacles and around the obstacles in which it's found. Now, there are two factors that determine the speed and the power on which rivers flow. That's friction and gravity. Let me talk about these really quick. Friction and gravity. Friction impacts the speed of the flow of a river. Gravity impacts the power of that flow. If you think about friction, two things actually disrupt the speed of a river. That is, if there are rocks in the river or if there is sediment within the river itself. When rocks and and, and obstacles are placed within a river, it creates a friction in that river that naturally slows down the normal power and force of that river itself. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, over the last three to four years, there's been a lot of rocks that have been in our river. And there's been a lot of friction that has created, not just actually in the flow of church, but also amongst one another. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we've struggled at times with friction amongst ourselves. Friction in perhaps our families. Frictions in our workplaces, frictions even here amongst us. We particularly saw this during the social movement when there were political frictions that were happening in the church body as well as in the city. We saw this during COVID when certain rules and regulations were put in place and that created frictions and we had to learn how to deal with that sort of thing. So when obstacles get placed in the way, it does create a friction and that friction has the power at times to slow down the movement of the river. Sediment is also important in slowing down a river's flow. Sediment is the soil and the dirt and the the little pebbles that get stirred up in the flow of a river. And if that sediment gets stirred up too much, it becomes like a sludge inside the river itself, which then slows down its flow. And again, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we could recognize that there has been a sediment that perhaps is built up inside of us as well things that we've come to struggle with, maybe some emotional challenges that we carry during the last three to four years, maybe some of the anger and frustration that we've had to some of the policies or situations that have happened around us. 
maybe some of the stress that this has created, even perhaps trauma that we're carrying with ourselves. And that sediment builds up inside of us, and that also can stop us and slow us down from the movement that God has for us in a city. And, and one of the things that we have to realize is we need to actually release the sediments if we're truly going to flow as God wants us to. And I think as we've entered into 2023, if we're all honest, we recognize we're carrying quite a bit of sediment inside of us. This is why actually starting from next Sunday, we're going to do a four-week series here called When the Journey is Too Much. And we're going to talk about mental wellness, something that I think is really important in this season of life as everybody emerges out of COVID. How is our mental health? Are we, are we thinking about things strongly in the area of mental wellness? And we're going to look at the life of the Apostle Paul and the life of the prophet Elijah to look at how they were able to release the sediment that build up in their lives. And I hope that will be a blessing for you too. So both rocks in our paths, sediment within the river can create this friction that slows us down. But what about the power of a river moving forward? That power is impacted by gravity. Gravity is the unseen but powerful force that pulls that water that falls in the higher elevations down towards the lower elevations and out into the ocean itself. It is gravity that moves the water forward. It's the gravity that accounts for whether the water is moving fast or whether it's moving slow. The power that is created by that water, it's always done through gravity. And so the question that I think has to sit on us, if God is saying to us, you've got to think of church like a river, then the question for us is this. What is the gravity that God is using upon us to move us more and more forward in the flow of God's vast ocean of his kingdom here in Hong Kong? Are you with me, church? Like, what is the gravity that God is using for us to move us forward in our city in this time? Because if gravity is responsible for the power of that movement, then we need to understand what the gravity is acting on us. Well, to answer that, let me tell you, first of all, a couple of things that I think the Lord is doing amongst us with this movement in 2023. That's one of the clearest examples of how the river is flowing here at the Vine this year is with our church plant to Yunlong. If you've been coming to the Vine for any period of time, you would have heard us speak about our Yunlong church plant. In fact, everybody in Yunlong is watching this service right now. I wonder if we could all just turn in our seats and wave at the camera that's right there and say, hey, Yunlong, you guys are awesome. We love you. Hi. Okay, cool. So there's a group of people already meeting in a kindergarten in Yunlong. Uh, Pastor Tim and Pastor Ivan have done some incredible work. The core team that they built up to get the church up and running. And so they're meeting right now uh, as their soft launch in a kindergarten there. And last year at Vision Sunday, we asked you to give towards our one-year operating expenditure. You guys gave over $7 million last year to get that church plant up and running and to get it moving forward with its operational expenditures for a year. And we so honor you guys and thank you for that generosity last year. And since then, we've had a project manager come on board. We've, found, uh, we've been tendering for... Some some of the renovation work we want to do. Uh, we've been working with a group of different people to help design what we hope would be uh, our facility in the future. And today, we're asking you to give $6.5 million across our three services today uh, towards the renovation of a facility in Yunlong. That's what we're coming and specifically asking you to be a part of here today. $6.5 million, which is what we will need to renovate a facility in Yunlong. 
But it's not just about Yunlong. Sorry, guys, in Yunlong, we love you. But it's just not about you fully. It's also about some of the other work that God is doing in us. This idea of the sediment that I think is built up inside of us is something that we really want to focus on this year as we move forward as a church. We want to help each other release that sediment as much as possible. So we're investing this year in a number of the ways in which we're doing work in that area. We're going to continue to invest in our OASIS, which is our center for counseling and psychotherapy. We're going to be putting resources into that space, growing the team there, so we can continue to actually minister and work with those people who are struggling with mental wellness in our city. And It's amazing that Oasis is now serving over 80% of the people that they serve are now outside of the vine rather than within the vine. So it's really becoming a community center, and that's always been our dream and hope for it. But alongside of that, we're actually creating a whole new ministry space here at the Vine in our inner healing area. The Vine has always been called to be a place of healing and restoration for people. Uh, But this year, we're actually taking one of our uh, pastors, Vivian, and we're creating a new role that she's going to be stepping into full-time, which is our restoration pastor. And we're going to be having a lot of courses, a lot of work that we're going to do in the space of healing and restoration for people so they can really release that sediment that's built up amongst them. And as we release the sediments, if you will, it then frees us to develop and deepen in community together. So alongside of all of this, we're actually investing in our community groups this year. Uh, We're going to be investing in areas where we're trying to build community within the church. There's a number of those initiatives that have already started that you've probably been hearing about here on Sundays. Uh, We're also going to be uh, really making an investment in the ministry of the missions work we do here through the pathways that we have. You may have heard of the neighborhood conversations that we've been doing lately as we're trying to get out of the four walls of our building into this neighborhood here in Wan Chai, connecting with the people around us, finding out how they're doing post-COVID, how we can serve them as a community in that place of love. We're going to be doing that this year as well. We're also going to be investing more uh, in families because, again, another thing that we're noticing as we're coming out of COVID is the need to root ourselves deeply in family together. And so our children, K4C ministry, our youth at flight, our young adults in 180, the generational side of this church is also something that we're excited about deepening and developing so that we can strengthen that biological, that, that kind of immediate family unit here in our city, which we think is important for the health of this city as we move forward. These are some of the small ways that we're going to be moving the flow of our church forward. They excite me. I hope they excite you. But I have to tell you about something else here today. Now, normally on Vision Sunday, I'd spend the whole message telling you all the things that we're doing. But I've just done that, and I'm not going to say anything more about it. Because today, I want to actually do something different with you. In fact, uh, just a few months ago, as I was praying about Vision Sunday, it's good that your pastor prays about his sermons. Amen? I was praying for Vision Sunday a few months ago. I was on a long walk, and as I was walking and praying, I felt God say something to me. And you know when God speaks to you sometimes, and you don't really want to hear it, right? You know, and you kind of wish he hadn't spoken that day, you know? I was walking, and God spoke to me about Vision Sunday, and he said, Andrew, I'm in a season of doing a new thing, so I want you to do a new thing on Vision Sunday. I want you to approach it completely differently. He said, because there is something going on in your heart that is blocking the flow of the river of the church. Now, when God says that to you and you're the lead pastor of the church, that's something you've got to listen to. That there was something in my heart that was stopping the flow or resisting, perhaps, the flow of what God wanted to do here. And so today, I want to be honest about my journey in that. And as I'm honest about my journey in that, I wonder and I hope and I pray that that might release some of you in your journey as well. 
I had come to realize that as I approached Vision Sunday over the years, I, I had come to believe that the gravity that moves this church forward is a really creative and articulate communication of vision. I mean, the name is in the name itself, Vision Sunday. And I'd come to believe that the gravity that moves this church forward is my ability to discern what God's great vision is for the church and stand here before you on this Sunday and as well as I can, creative as I can, as articulate as I can, tell you about this vision so that on the back of me communicating some vision, you'll be able to give some money to help us move forward as a church. Now, I want to be really clear. There's nothing wrong with vision. Vision is important. The Bible says without a vision, people will perish. And I do not want you to perish. So vision is good. We'll continue to talk about vision. We'll continue to have vision Sundays. But God was saying, Andrew, you've got your trajectory of your heart. You've got your motive in the wrong place because you've begun to rely on vision as the thing that's going to be the catalyst for the work that I want to do. You've begun to think that vision is the key, that vision is this gravity that pulls the church forward. And he says, you've forgotten a fundamental thing. And, and I realized that over, not, not every Vision Sunday, but some Vision Sundays, I had approached it a little bit like an investment strategy seminar. How can I convince the people at the Vine that this will be a worthy investment for their money? How can I tell them that if they give their money, I will give them a great rate of return because we'll do this ministry and that ministry and this thing will happen and that thing. Everything I just said in my paragraph a little bit before. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking, like, if I can lay this up as a good investment for you, you're going to then make that investment in us. And I began to think that that was the way, and that's a really dangerous place to be. And I wonder whether that maybe resonates with any of you in this room as well. Maybe some of you in this room, that's often how you think about giving too. Like if Andrew can convince me that this is a great vision, then I might give. I'll come on Vision Sunday and I'll wait until I hear what he says. And I think we got ourselves, and I know I've gotten myself in a bit of a dangerous place if I'm relying on something within me and how I do it for how God is actually going to move here in the church. There's nothing wrong with stewardship of our resources. But I'd come to realize that I was using stewardship as an excuse to not give money that I didn't want to give anyway. Oh, that's really honest. That I'd come to sort of say, well, it's just good financial stewardship on me not to give this year because of X, Y, and Z. When actually really just an excuse for me not to give what I really didn't want to let go of anyway. And I wonder as we come into this moment today, we might be honest a little bit with how sometimes we have approached this reality. And as God began to speak to me, I realized that this had to come from a different place. So often I had made giving basically a rational financial investment. Let me say that again. I had made my giving a rational financial investment rather than, I think, the thing that God wants giving to truly be. I want to say this to you today. Most of the giving that you see in Scripture is irrational. In fact, there's an irrationality about the giving that's found and experienced in the kingdom of God. And by irrational, I'm not meaning that the giving is not done with thought, nor is it done with stewardship or care. Okay? 
In fact, if you see the giving that's happened in Scripture, so much of it actually does emerge out of this deep place of reflection and thought. But it's irrational in the sense that it's not giving based on some great vision or or giving that's perhaps based on some sort of rational financial plan. It's giving that space in a completely different aspect that actually makes sense from a kingdom perspective, even if it doesn't perhaps make sense from a worldly perspective. The fact that you're sitting in this room right now in the Vine Center here is a result of some irrational giving in the past. Because when we decided to take on this building as a rundown cinema, we didn't buy this building. There's still a landlord of this building, but we completely demolished it and we rebuilt this place of somebody else's asset. And so many people told us that's not rational. That's not clear, good financial investment. But we're sitting here today because there were some people in the past who decided to think rationally and decided to believe that actually giving in the kingdom looks in a different way, and we're all sitting in the fruit of that here today. And there's so much there that I think stirs in my heart that, oh my God, Lord, I want to be in a place where I can offer my resources, again, not from a place of not thinking about it or from a place of not having reflection around it, but from a place that's rational in your kingdom, even if that's irrational in the world. Are you with me, anyone? And so as I began to process this, I began to ask God on that walk, well, God, if I've got the gravity wrong, if gravity is not an articulated vision or a a sound financial plan, if that's not the gravity that moves the church forward, then what is the gravity that moves the church forward? Because I want to communicate that on Vision Sunday. And so God led me to a scripture, which I hadn't looked in detail at before, that is perhaps the most irrational moment of giving that we see in scripture. And I want to unpack this a little bit with us today to help communicate what I think this gravity is all about. And then I'm going to call us to be a part of that gravity so that we can powerfully flow in our city. Is this helping so far? Everybody okay? All right, we're going to go to Exodus. Now, by the way, before we go into Exodus, oh, I'm so excited. So you know that the last four years I've been investing and researching and working on an Exodus series. And I am super excited to announce that after Easter, the Sunday after Easter, which is April 16th, we're going to finally start our Exodus series right here at the Vine. It's going to start from that Sunday and flow from that point forward. Uh, We're going to unpack it every week. There's going to be a little video on location from Egypt to Jordan. uh, And I am super excited about that. Invite your friends and family. That's enough of that plug. Okay. Let's go into Exodus chapter 36. Before we open it, I want to say this. This is the part of Exodus. It's towards the end of the story. And the people of God have come out of their slavery in Egypt. And they're now in a place where they're actually finding themselves in freedom. And as they're in that place of freedom, they're in a place where God is beginning to speak to them about how they can worship him in their place of freedom. And he invites them to consider creating a tabernacle, a tent, where they can go in and worship him. And in order to construct this tent, Moses goes before the people and he invites them to give towards the construction of the tabernacle where they would be able to gather to worship as they were nomads in the desert before they entered into the promised land. So he goes out and he invites people to give towards a building project, essentially. And I want to read you what happens towards the end of that project. This is chapter 36 of Exodus, starting in verse 2. Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Oholiab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring uh, freewill offerings morning after morning. 
So all the skilled craftsmen and all who were doing all the work in the sanctuary left their work and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work that the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order, and they sent this word throughout the whole of the Israelite camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they had already had was more than enough to do all the work. This moment blows my mind. This is the moment where Moses has gone before the people and he's saying, we need to construct a tabernacle here and we need you guys to contribute towards it. And so many people have contributed and they've contributed so much that actually the workmen who are working on the construction of the tabernacle have to leave their work. They have to put down their tools. They have to go to their leader, Moses, and they say, Moses, this is driving us nuts. We can't do any of the work because the whole day we're just dealing with all the things that are coming in through the offering. Could you tell the people to stop offering And so Moses goes before all of Israel and he literally has to restrain them from giving towards the project. Can you imagine this? Imagine if I had to come to you next week and restrain you from continuing to give towards Vision Sunday. This is a crazy moment where there's a situation where Moses says, there's too much. We have too much resources. You need to stop. And people were being restrained. That word means physically held back. It's like, I want to give. I want to give. Like, no, stop giving. I mean, this is a moment of complete irrationality. And one of the questions you have to ask is, why are the Israelites giving so much with so much enthusiasm that they literally have to be restrained? Well, I want to unpack an answer to that through the previous chapter. Let me show you from verse 4 of Exodus 35. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering. Notice this, not everything. But from what you have, take a portion of it as an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold or silver or bronze, blue, purple, scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins, uh, dyed red or hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastplate. It's really interesting. Moses gets specific about what he needs to be given. He's not specific about the vision and what's going, to be, what's going to happen off the back of all that giving. But he is specific about what they need to give. In the same way that I've stood before you today and said, we need $6.5 million. And I love the way that Moses does it here. He breaks it down in categories where everybody, no matter their status, could contribute. Some of the things on this list are really, really expensive that only wealthy people would be able to bring in. But there was lots on this list that the common person would also be able to contribute. And so he lays out opportunities for everybody, no matter their status and their background, to give. And that's something we've always done here at The Vine. We've always said, hey, no matter where you are, no matter what your status, it's not about what you give, it's the fact that you're participating in giving. There's an entry point for everyone, whether it's $1 or whatever it might be, everybody can contribute because Moses' heart was he wanted everybody to be a part of this experience. And he uses a word here at the start that is very, very important. He says, everyone who is willing brings something to the Lord. This phrase, who is willing, is actually repeated five times throughout this chapter. It's the thing that Moses is drilling down to his people. If you're willing, if you're willing. In other words, this is completely free. No coercion, no obligation. I'm not forcing you to do anything. If you're willing. 
If you want to be a part of this, great. And if you want to be a part of it, there's lots of ways in which you can be a part of it. Moses is completely free. In fact, he says at the end of chapter 35, verse 29, a summary over the whole experience. He says, all the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord a free will offering for all the work that the Lord through Moses had commanded them. Notice the two words here. Those who were willing brought a free will offering. Something completely free. No obligation, no coercion. If you want to bring it, you can bring it. If you don't, you don't need to. It's not a problem. It's just here for you to partake in. And so many people responded that they literally had to restrain people from giving anymore. And again, this is just deeply challenging because I think you have to ask yourself, what is it that's driving this idea? What is the gravity that's at work here that's causing them to give? Well, think about their context. This is really interesting. These are ex-slaves. They've been slaves for 430 years. When you're a slave, two things are a reality. One, you have no freedom. Two, you have no money. 430 years, generations of people. Not free, no money. And now they've only been free for something like 20 years. You could forgive a newly freed people who have been slaves for so long in their freedom holding onto their resource. That sounds like a found, good, sound financial strategy. Hey, you, you, you've suffered slavery for so long. You need to save a little bit of money. You, know, you, don't, you don't need to give here, actually. Just, just save it up. You're only just gotten yourself free, and you're only just beginning to take resources for yourself. You know what, little Bobby? He's coming up to university soon. You should just put a little bit. It's okay. Like, just do some found, sound financial giving here. And that's not what we see. We see people who were slaves now in a situation where they don't have a lot, but are giving so much that Moses had to tell them to stop giving. And they've come to realize something in the process of their deliverance. This is what's key. You see, in their deliverance, God has come down and seen them in their slavery. And out of his place of love and compassion, he takes them from a place of slavery. He frees them by his love and releases them into a new status where they're free to do whatever they want. And God's people are aware, wow, I'm free now because of the love of God. God so loved us saw us, had compassion on us, came and set us free. And in that freedom now, they're thinking to themselves, how do I honor the reality of this freedom? Not that I'm now coerced. I'm not obligated. If that's happening, then you're back being a slave. Moses says, if you're willing, free will offering. I don't want to make you a slave to this at all. This is just something you're to do. If you realize that you've been set free, well, now you can contribute freely to set others free. He's like, there's a flow of resources that happen in the kingdom of God. And the gravity that sets things free is love. It's the love that these people had received from a God who has come down, changed them, and completely transformed their lives. So that even though they only had little, they were still giving a lot. It was love. It wasn't that Moses had laid out some amazing, great vision it wasn't like he had given them some sort of investment strategy. He had literally just said, hey, if you've experienced the freedom that God has provided to you, then in that freedom, you are free to now act and respond. And they're like, wow, God has done so much for me. I need to give in proportion to the blessing that I have received. 
See, love and love alone is the gravity that moves the river forward in God's kingdom in a city. It's always love. And as I was walking on that road and God was beginning to speak to me, he said, I love you, Andrew. You don't have to perform. You don't have to have the best vision. You don't have to stand in front of people and try to convince them to give out of a rational, sound financial argument. You need to stand before them and tell them that I love them. That I love them. That everything I've done for them is out of love. And if they're going to give, I don't want them to give to vision. I don't want them to give to a rational thing. I want them to give irrationally out of the place of love. See, look what Israel did when they did that. They had to be restrained from giving more. And I felt like God was saying, Andrew, I want you to give that way. I want you to give everything of your life, not just financially, but everything out of a place of love. We need to realize that, that Israel did not give into something, they gave out of something. They did not give into vision, they gave out of love. And I stand before you today and I call you to give out of love. Because it's not just the Israelites who have been set free by the love of God. It's you too. It's me. We've been set free by God's love. God has come and done something for us. He sent his son Jesus for us. He died for us. He redeemed us, had compassion for us, forgave us, gave us grace, renewed us, raised again for us. Everything he's done has been for us. If there's ever been a free people, surely it is us. And out of that freedom, we get the great opportunity to partake in the offering of something from that place of freedom. This is the early church. The early church were completely irrational when it came to giving. They would sell fields and bring it and put it at the apostles' feet so that the money could be distributed to anybody in the community who was at need. They were known for their radical generosity. People in the Greek or Roman Empire would stand back and go, why are they so generous all the time? And it wasn't because the apostle Paul and others had laid out a great vision for them. It was literally because they realized profoundly that their lives had been set free by God and there was a relationship between freedom, love, and generosity. And in that relationship, they gave freely because it was a joy for them to be a part of the willing. So I want to close on this. God moves and creates futures through the willing, through those who are actually willing to be a part of it. Five times in this passage, I've already said, Moses talks about being willing. And, and this is really interesting because we need to understand that this is the way God works. See, God doesn't change the world through a people of obligation or coercion. He changes the world through a people who are willing. Come on, church. He doesn't change it through a people of obligation or coercion, but through a people who are willing. Now, I want you to see this. When, when Moses says, if you are willing, what that indicates is that there were people in the camp who were not willing. It means that there were some people there in Israel who were not willing and did not participate. Now, I want you to see this because this is really powerful and really important. Those who were not willing, who did not contribute, got the same future as those who were willing. 
and did contribute. In other words, the unwilling or those that weren't willing did not get a second-rate experience in the kingdom. They didn't get a second-rate experience. They weren't like stopped from going into the tabernacle. Whether you were willing or not, you got the same future. God still provided. That's God's irrational, radical grace. Whether you give today or not, you will continue to receive the fullness of the vine's ministries to you. I'm not going to know who gives and who doesn't. Okay, so whether you do it or not, it doesn't mean that you get a second-rate experience at the vine. You get to come in and be a part of this. That's the crazy thing about the kingdom of God, and it's beautiful. But it is the willing who shape the future. It is the willing within Israel who would end up shaping the future for Israel that the not willing would still benefit from. And it will be the same for us. I said earlier that you're standing or sitting in a room right now full of people of a previous generation who are willing to give out of love so that this generation would receive its benefits. And I wonder who will be sitting in a room in five to ten years' time in Yunlong off the back of the love of people in the room today. You see, that's, that's why we give. We give because God has loved us and changed us. And we give because we love our city and we love the future of what that city would be. And whether we're willing or unwilling, we all move together into that future. But our giving aligns ourselves with the joy of saying, Christ loved me, so I will love those who are around us. So today as we give, I want to invite you to think about it from that perspective. And yes, we have a vision. Yes, we're doing stuff. Of course, the church is moving forward. But today, I want you to give freely a free will offering without any obligation or coercion, simply out of a place of love. And some of us will be willing and some of us won't be. doesn't matter. We're going to move forward together as a church. The river is flowing onwards. But what a joy it is that we get to partake in that together. I wonder whether you would stand with me and I'm going to pray and let us know a little bit of how this is going to work. Over the next five minutes of worship, and we will be worshiping